Hi, welcome to valuationpodcast.com, a podcast and video series about all things related to business and valuation. My name is Melissa Gregg, and I provide online divorce, mediation, and valuation services in St. Louis, Missouri. Today, we will discuss how exit planning is not what you think with Scott Snyder. Scott is the president of Exit Planning Institute, EPI, and the operating partner of Snyder Premier Growth, a small family investment company in Westlake, Ohio. Welcome, Scott. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is awesome. Well, you know, people are going to learn as we go through this podcast that you, your firm actually offers a credential in exit right. planning, which we'll talk about a little bit more during the um, program. But like, if we just start out, because I think that how I knew about you and had met you in the past was that kind of in the valuation world, there's also a lot of people that could be financial advisors or business brokers or CPAs. And we get into this business of business valuation, but then we start helping people exit. And that means a lot of different things. I think, you know, I started kind of off in investment banking. And so we had a view of how you buy or sell a company. But how do we really define exit planning? And what are some of the core concepts from your perspective? Yeah, no, I think you're I think you're right. I think when people think about exit planning, they think a a traditional M&A process, right, where they're going to sell to some external party down the way. Or maybe if you're like a family business like we are, you're like, yeah, well, of course, Chris, it's Chris is Chris is my father. Chris is gonna, you know, uh, per, you know, tr- sell the business down to Scott or or t- do some succession planning. For me, uh, I would say exit planning is a way to create a significant company. And I think there's a difference between a successful and significant company. I think this is one of the issues that a lot of business owners see is that I think that as we're running our companies. We all feel like we're making good money. We have all the cool stuff. We seemingly have great customers. We have engaged employees, all this good stuff. And it it probably is all good stuff, right? And then we go to sell our company and we either don't sell it for what we thought we should sell it for, or unfortunately, we're not able to sell it at all until we kind of fix it up and and get it ready, right? Uh, Or we sell it for what we wanted, and then 18 months later, we're like super unhappy because we're bored. We don't have anything to do. And so the difference, the way I describe exit planning kind of at a high level before kind of peeling a layer of the onion back is that most owners, I think, have successful companies, but most owners don't have significant ones. So the way in which to have a significant company that aligns to your business, personal and financial goals is through a concept called value acceleration. And so exit planning is a way to create a significant company that aligns to all three things and three elements that an owner has, business, personal, and financial. Well, and I think that just to clear up a few things, that most of the time when business owners are even contemplating, like most successful business owners are not going to look for a way to exit the company, right? That something's going to happen and but they always feel like their company is worth a lot more than maybe a potential buyer would think it was worth. So, and I, and I think that part of what people in kind of the exit planning space are like, you know, if the business owner would get up to speed about what the true sellable value is, right. 
Maybe yep. they aren't the same things that they thought were worth a lot, but if they come up with what is the sellable value, in my mind, you're putting the, the power back in the business owner and they can now make a decision. Cause I've talked to people like your business is worth $5 million today. Okay. You can go right. sell it for $5 million. Right. So, and they say, well, I'm pulling a 1.5 off every year. And I say, okay, well, do you want to work for three more years and you would make close to 5 million, right? And right. then sell it for anything because you've right. already made the money out. What you wanted, right? And they're like, well, but but there's so much risk. And like, there what is. if what if everything happens? And like, what if we don't make it? Well, that's why you could potentially sell it now to take away some of that risk. Absolutely. So, but they have a decision. Okay, let's say I work hard for three years and I can get the value to 6 million. Is mm -hmm. it worth it to me? I don't know. Do you want to work three more years for another million? And then they can. So to me, it's also helping the business owner have a uh, uh, an adequate way to make a decision, right? Absolutely. I would agree. Okay. Yeah, I, I, would, I would agree. I think that uh, it allows the business owner to think in the future a little bit and provides options. I think that any I think something like the state of owner readiness survey, which is a piece of research that we do here at EPI time and time again, shows that something like 60 plus percent of owners don't really even understand all of their exit options to begin with. So I think that by incorporating exit planning into the right now and starting to plan for this exit, it gives you options. It says, when do I need to sell? Do I need to sell now? Do I need to sell in 10 years? What options might be right for me? So I think that from what I don't, think a lot of owners know as well that it's really not about the price that you're getting from a sales standpoint. It's about the net proceeds that you're taking home. And I think that we hear a lot from advisors that say, look, you have a $20 million company today. We believe it could be a $30 million company in five years. But is that really what the owner wants to do? To me, it always goes back to our like what we call a wealth gap conversation. A wealth gap would say, how much money, how many assets, what's the value of my assets currently outside of my business? What's my wealth goal? And then that gap is usually filled up by the by the by the value of the business. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if I had five million dollars of assets outside of my business and my goal was twenty million dollars, I know that my business needs to be worth fifteen million to get there. Right. And sometimes I think professional advisors say, "Look, it's not worth fifteen right now; it's worth ten. But I think it'd be worth twenty. And to your point about option, I can say, "Okay, that sounds good. Let's get it to twenty. But because I know my wealth gap. I know that I really only need it to be worth 15 because it'll get me to my wealth goal, which will take me into the next phase or act of my life. Right. So to me, it's certainly about option. And, and I think a part of having those options is knowing what we want to do outside of our business as a business owner, right? Is that we're people. So we're a part of being a person for some is a business owner, but mm -hmm. we're also many other things. So how do we fund that lifestyle after business ownership? Well, and even, you know, some of the options, like you talked about, like with your father and yeah. you, sure. there is an option to gift you some. When you talk to business owners, they're like, gift? What? What is that even? Now, now we talk about gift tax and all of this yeah, stuff, sure. but business owners don't necessarily know that that's an option. You know, they're just mm -hmm. like, I'm going to sell it and that's it. And I think that that part of it is understanding the other options. The second part is do you go and sell your house like today, right? Sure. I'm going to sell my house. 
do you just literally go and put a sign in the front yard? Or are you going to clean the bathrooms? Are sure, you going yeah. to I mean, like trim, you yeah. know, the trees? The put the put the put a fresh coat of paint on the thing, right? You want it to show well without doubt. Right. Yeah. I think and the so, simplistic way to look at that process is to look at like the house, the house deal, right? Is that no one will just throw a house like on the market, even if you had the nicest house, there's probably some things. What I would say, which I think is a really good point, actually, is that why I think business owners, when we started talking, we started talking about, I think business owners sometimes think their business is worth more than what it actually is worth. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because then, and I'm a business owner myself, we're looking at our own baby. So of course I have the most beautiful baby on the block, right? We call it the, like the ugly baby syndrome. Like, can you pause for a moment and say, if I showed you, if me and you were hanging out and you said, Scott, you know, or I was hanging out with you and I said, you know what, Melissa, I have a beautiful brand new baby daughter. Like here's her picture. And instead of doing the the respectful thing and saying like, oh my God, what a beautiful baby. You go, wow, is she ugly? <laughs> like, right. You'd be, I'd be like offended. I'd be like, what are you, that, that's a horrible thing to say to a new father. Right. But, but what we're saying is, is that everybody's baby in their own eyes is the most beautiful baby that you've ever seen in your life. And why I think owners think their companies are frankly overpriced or overvalued in their mind because they're looking at it from their mentality. Right. What we teach and what are part of the, the, the exit planning mindset or definition is you're looking at exit planning always from a buyer's perspective. And that includes when you alluded to my family business with me and my dad, that includes transitioning to de generations. A lot of people will pause me here and go, well, okay, I get that you need to look at it from a buyer's mentality, a buyer's perspective when you're selling to a third party. I get that. Mm -hmm. But I'm just going to give this to my son. Like what? what I mean, you know, but he's a, he or she is a, he, a buyer. And I always say very simply, it's like, dad, I don't want to inherit all the company's problems. So like, can we always be planning so that we kind of mitigate these risks in our business and in our personal lives. And then the tragedy is, is that about 50% of the exits in our country today, whether you're thinking that you'll sell to your kids or thinking you'll sell to a private equity group or some other financial or synergistic type buyer, is that 50% of the exits in our country are involuntary mm -hmm. because of death, divorce, disability. I mean, throwing disease with our pandemic, it kills companies, these unexpected things. And I don't think we're ever going to plan 100% 100% for these these risks that will always kind of be inside of our lives and business. But I think that by doing appropriate exit planning, we're always kind of mitigating these risks along the way. I think yeah. it's why you see some companies being able to pivot and some kind of companies folding. I think that when there's a partner dispute, they have a process for that dispute. And so it just makes things a, a heck of a lot easier. But yeah, I would say a buyer's mentality or a buyer's perspective when it comes to exit planning and understanding what your business is worth is a cap that we have to put on as an owner, because of course we all think that our, our company is one of the best. Mm -hmm. And that's how in the past we've said, you know, looking at a third party coming in, either evaluation, um, a financial planner, exit planner, your CPA, and getting a perspective, right? Because right. sometimes, I mean, even, you know, I tell this to people all the time, it's probably not super great, but like sometimes you don't need a full valuation when you're going to sell your company. You need to have an idea. Like you need to correlate the idea in your head to sure. the idea that somebody is saying that would actually purchase it, right? Well, it's going to make and it break decisions that you have on a day-to-day basis. Basis. I, when I'm talking to an owner, I'm saying, hey, we make decisions in our business every single day that eventually affect the exit of our company. Mm 
If I boiled exit planning way down, I boil exit planning down into outside of the personal and the personal financial. If I'm just looking at the business, there's four things that will drive higher valuation. I think that if you, it's what we call the four C's, human capital, structural capital, social capital, which is your culture uh, and customer capital. And if we can strengthen and mitigate risk in those four C's, our business will be more predictable, more scalable, and be decentralized from us, the owner. And that becomes a very valuable company for a lot of buyers. And so if you think about what I just said, if you're a business owner listening, if I told you I could give you entangled customers, engaged customers, and diversified revenue, if I could tell you I could get your employees thinking like business owners and decentralize you from the business so that they can operate the business without you, if I could give them, if I can optimize their time with the right resources and systems, and I could give a great culture and internal communication plan to your staff and your, and, and your company, you would say, yeah, that's the kind of stuff I care about every day as an owner. Well, that's what I'm saying is that the same stuff that makes a business very valuable is the same stuff that we're trying to go into our businesses every single day, uh, every single day and do. So to me, like the, the driving message for, for, for owners for me is that exit strategy is business strategy. There's really nothing different is that whether you're a 25 year old entrepreneur just starting out or a 70 year old entrepreneur trying to exit and harvest value, we need to bring exit planning into the present because we'll be dropping net more net profit to the bottom line today while building a valuable company for tomorrow. And that's really what exit planning for me is all about. It's about focusing on the right now, not some point in the future. Like if your house really needs to be power washed and painted, why wait to when you're going to sell it? It looks like crap today. You probably should just get it done. You know, mm -hmm. and I'm the worst at this. So don't compare my businesses to my house. Cause if you came, I was just laughing about this the other day because I live in like a century home on the West side of Cleveland, right where it becomes suburban, right into the rural area. So right on the cusp of rural and suburban. And my washing machine was made in like 1994. And I took a shirt out and wore it to the office the other day. And there was like a little stain on it. And they're like, how did you not get that out? I was like, well, my washing machine was in 94 and uh, it probably needs to be replaced. So I probably should take some of my own my own advice and say, if the thing needs to be replaced, if a buyer of my house would come in and say, and say, hey, these washing machine, this washing machine come with the house, I'd be like, hell yeah, it does, throwing everything in. And then I'd be like, well, I'm going to have to replace that anyways. So I'm going to take $1,000 or whatever a washing machine costs, take it off the purchase price because I need to put a new washer in here. Right, right, so same right. Thing, so same thing with a business. Like they're going to look at that and say, if your machines need to be updated and replaced, they're going to discount the purchase price because they're going to need to go do it. Mm -hmm. So, or it's not going to be a predictable revenue model because like at some point these machines are going to crash and I'm not going to be able to fulfill my product line. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. I well, that. And, and you can, you can also, you know, a lot of business owners do talk about that. Like I had a client that um, sold his company and his warehouse had holes in the roof and he was right. like, yeah, Late but like, it's not yeah. that big of a deal. Like we just don't put anything right under the hole. <laughs> yeah, okay. Like that's a good Thousands way. Right. But right. are you going to be paid for having a full roof when you have holes in the roof? But it gets me to kind of part of sure. where I think business owners go, which is literally business owners. And, and you and I know this too. Like we go, 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 go. And then something will happen and maybe we haven't planned for it. Right. And, sure. and we don't know what's going to happen because everything is contingent upon us. But what I see business owners want to do is usually they want to grow their business right? 
yep. or then, or they, and they're just going to do it till they die. And they're like, I'm, I don't know what I would do outside of here. So the, and those are two completely different things, but in the growing the business or the value acceleration, what are the fundamentals of the value acceleration methodology that can help an owner get to that level where they maybe would, would like the sale price, right? Sure. Yeah, I think so. The fundamentals, I would say that every owner should know, and it embraces both business, personal and financial. So that's one of the fundamentals right there. In fact, if you're working in, inside of the Exit Planning Institute or you're one of our certified exit planning advisors, you would understand one thing for sure, that the organizing principle for anything exit planning, the organizing principle that we all come around is that in order to have this significant company and a very fulfilling and success, successful exit, we need to have three things aligned, business, personal and financial goes back to what we were talking about. I could sell my business for $250 million. And maybe for the common person, we're like, how can they, that person not be happy? But they're not happy because they're doing exactly what you just said, is that they're wandering around the earth because they're like, I guess I shouldn't have sold this thing because now I profoundly regret selling this business because I don't know what else to do. The other thing, so some other things that are foundational to the value acceleration methodology. I, if you want to know everything about exit planning, I would sum it up in what I call five, four, three, two, one. So there's five stages of value maturity. There are four intangible capitals. There are three gaps and three legs. There are two concurrent paths that any owner runs on at any given time and one goal, and that is to drive value. So um, if you think about kind of breaking these down a little bit for you, unpacking this a little bit, the five stages of value maturity, I think the ultimate goal, you think about a staircase at the, at the top of the staircase is manage value. So the ultimate goal is to sell this company 10 million, 100 million, whatever it is, be able to reinvest that money and manage it for the next act or phase of our life. But in order to get there, you got to start at the bottom landing and start to work our way up. So in order to understand what we can have to manage, we have to identify and assess what we have. To your point about business valuation earlier, no, I don't think a, a business owner every year needs some full, big, blown, certified valuation. But as a business owner, we need to understand the difference between the tax number and the real number. And we need to understand where our value is today so that we can grow to the value that we want to tomorrow. We should we should have that every year. We should know not just what the projections on the P&L look like, but we should understand what the projections and value growth look like. So we need to identify and assess what we have. Once we can do that, we can start to protect and build value. Then eventually we'll come into harvesting our value, selling our company, and then manage that wealth for a lifetime to come. The next is what I, we kind of talked about already, the four intangible capitals. So human, structural, customer, and social. The three gaps and the three legs are the three legs of the stool are the, the business, personal, and financial aspects or elements and goals of a business owner's life and company. The three gaps, so every business owner has three gaps. They have a wealth gap, they likely have a profit gap, and they have a value gap. So we should know our three gaps so we can begin to fill those gaps over time. The two concurrent paths is one of my favorites. I think you kind of talked about this a little bit. Every business owner is running on a, a business path, right? We're trying to mitigate risks, grow our company, drive efficiencies, drop more net profit. So there's always a business path. As advisors, we're probably always talking to owners about instead of working in your business, we should take some time to work on the business, act more strategic and visionary. What we don't see, maybe because it's kind of corny, but we don't hear people saying, stop living in your life and work on your life. And so for, we don't hear that a lot, right? If somebody tells you that, you're probably like, ah, that's a little mushy for me, probably not my thing. But this is why you see owners profoundly regretting selling their business because they didn't work on their life. They lived in their life and lived in their business. 
And so just like we want to spend some time as owners working on our companies, we want to spend some time working on our life. So that second path to the two concurrent paths, that second path would be a personal and personal financial path. We want to understand what we want to do outside of the business and put a plan around that. And we want to understand what that personal financial strategy is. So when our business does go away, we have the right amount of funds coming in to live the life that we want to live and achieve our, our achieve our goals. And then the last is the one. The one goal is to drive value. And that's not just business value, but that's value across all three of those legs. I want a more valuable and transferable business. I want a clear personal financial plan that I can stand on. And I want to have a personal vision and purpose that takes me through my entire life. So that's maybe a long answer to the short question of the fundamentals of value acceleration. But to me, I would always sum them up as the five, four, three, two, one. If we can understand five stages, four C's, three gaps and three legs, two concurrent paths and one goal value, we pretty much understand exit planning and value acceleration. No, and I think that that's, I think that that is very concise and helpful. I think, you know, it's kind of the 80-20 rule that I've heard marketers Mm -hmm. talk about, like 80% of your time should be like now, right? And 20% of your time should be like, what's happening next? What's coming? The other, and and I think for business owners, that 20% is figuring out fulfillment outside of business because at some point, I don't know how many times, and and even recently we've done some transactions that, you know, I, and I tell them upfront, I said, you know, we're going to get a few buyers and you're going to have options. And, you know, we know your purchase price that you're going to be happy with is $3 million. Great. Um, So I'm going to tell you right now that there's going to, there's, there could potentially be a, a, buyer that's going to offer you $4 million. And there's going to be a buyer that offers you Mm 2.5. And you're going to love the 2.5 buyer, like love them, like think that they were created for you. And they're going to be hard at the 2.5, right? Mm -hmm. And the $4 million buyer, you might, you might like, but you're going to love the number, right? And when it comes down to it, I want you to be ready because you might actually choose the 2.5 buyer because a lot of my clients do because yeah. it's more than just the money, especially if they've built some other wealth. It's about the yeah. legacy. It's about, you know, w- the people. It's about their employees. Are they going to be secure? Are they going to be okay after I leave? So it comes down to a ton of different stuff. But I think yeah. that that's where you're going when we talk about what value comes from the three legs of the stool. And I think that that kind of ties into it, but maybe you can tell us more about the three legs. You're spot on. No, we, we kind of talked around this a a, a bit already, but I think that one thing I want to focus on that you said was, I think you said it a little bit earlier too, is that it's complex. Selling a company is complex. We, we kind of joke around and use with the home analogy, but it's a hell of a lot easier to sell a home than it is to sell a business. And I do. There's businesses trade in a range of value. So your business could train at two and a half million or four million. And to your point, it's what do you want to take? One, why it's so complex is there's so much different. This is literally why I think business owners don't do exit planning or estate planning or proper tax planning because literally it's like, dude, I don't have time for this. This is like wildly chaotic and complex and frankly, a little awkward at times because I haven't thought about this kind of stuff. In fact, I don't even want to think about this kind of stuff. And so and I, with family members, it's like, well, oh, I, I don't know if I want to give it to them. I want to sell it to them. Okay. 
all of that. They probably want asked. the same thing either. I mean, we, could get down, we could get down a whole new trail, but I think as a family business owner myself, have we even asked the next generation if they want the business, right? So right. it's like, I, if you're like, the, the story of uh, one gentleman, he was in a manufacturing company and he was the plant manager and he loved being the plant manager, loved his job. But he was like, Scott, I'm not, I would never own this business. So then dad, second generation, wants to pass it to the third generation, his son. And his son goes, dad, I love working here. I appreciate everything the family does. I appreciate the business, but I would never own this. And his dad was like, what? And I think it's one of the reasons why I also teach owners to think about your business as just another asset inside of your portfolio. So if legacy is important to you and wealth, family wealth is, is important to you, it doesn't need to mean that it's in the same business. So what Tom and his dad ended up doing was selling that business. And Tom took the money and started a, and bought a whole another company that he was more passionate about. And so um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that going back to your question, I think that it's so complex. Exit planning is so complex because not only are you thinking about your employees, your culture, the buyer, what will happen with your company. You're also going back to that wealth gap conversation. We need to understand how much money do we want or need in life so that we can go do the things when our business doesn't doesn't exist anymore or is in the hands of another person. So maybe I don't need four million. Maybe I, I'm happy with the two because I understand that I only need two and a half million to get to my wealth goal. So I don't even though my business, I could take four. Not only is it not right for my people and the legacy, but it's also I don't need it because I understand my wealth gap. That's the personal side of the three legs of the stool. Or I guess the personal and financial side, and then we've kind of talked through, talked through the business. But yeah, this is why I think that most owners, most advisors are very concentrated. If you're an owner listening right now, you probably have a CPA sitting at your advisory table. You probably have an attorney sitting at the advisory table. Who represents your personal and personal financial life, though? Mm -hmm. Right, like most people sitting around my advisory table represent me, my business. Mm -hmm. There's no one there that represents the personal, personal financial side. That's why. One of the things we teach at EPI is that we need to round out that holistic advisory group with a personal financial advisor. So now if we get a financial advisor there, even if you just had those three people sitting and advising you, we could take a more holistic look at who you are as a business owner and as a person that has all of these things, right? So I think it was like Steve Jobs, right? That talked about throwing the dots up and an entrepreneur's journey is in a straight line. It's connecting all these dots along the way. That's absolutely true when it comes to exit planning is that there's all this stuff that we want to do as a person, but a big part of being a person for us is a business owner. And I need a personal financial strategy to wrap this whole thing, to wrap all of this stuff around. And so it's really about connecting all those lines. And that's really what the three legs of the stool is all about. Yeah, because I come in and say, okay, you can get the 2.5. Okay, we go and get the 2.5. That's not after tax. That's right. not after cost. That's not yeah. after all of that yeah. other stuff. Yeah. Like I need the CPA to run those numbers. But I think the other interesting piece is that, you know, in the same analogy of, oh, I can take the 2.5 or the four, they'll, they'll be like, well, you know, the four would be great because then I never have to worry and blah, blah, blah. And I say, okay, so the four people say they're probably going to eliminate some people. They could move the location, but you just don't know. And they're like, yeah, but they promised to keep the people <laughs> yeah. for a year. Yeah, and yeah. it's funny because you're laughing and I laugh, right? right? But they honestly, if they've run a great reputable um, business for 30, 40 years, they believe that other people, when they say that, that they're going to do it. And right. I constantly say, listen, that buyer is going to tell you whatever you want to hear. If they're, yep. if they are not aligned culturally, 
or with your vision, they can tell you that. But when that closes, if you don't really trust that or you can't really get behind it, they can do whatever they want. They have no promises to you. And so I think a lot of these conversations, and that's why I do get a lot of my clients to do yearly valuations. It's sort of like we're talking out of both sides. It's not necessarily that it's a traditional valuation. It's analyses. It's we're looking internally and we're saying, okay, what did we do well? What do we need to work on? How can we change? Where's the world going? Things like that. Those conversations, I think, especially when you have family members, because I have a client right now that the two owners, they were 50-50 owners, brothers, Mm-hmm. Both passed within six months of each other. Nobody had expected this. Yep. And so now you have two families who are sort of being pulled apart and each are having to deal with the estates and they have no knowledge of the business whatsoever. Yep. Yep. You know, and so I think that all of those things could potentially happen. It's just that business owners, we really do just fly fast, right? Like, I got it, I got to go, I got to go. Um, and well, that's what I was saying before. I think the life of a business owner is already kind of organized chaos, right? Mm-hmm. You looked at, a, I think, a traditional business owner as well. They're also probably involved in things outside of their business, right? They're sitting on the city council. They're volunteering in their community or at their church. You know, they're going to other special events. They're teaching at a local college or entrepreneurship center. They're a husband. They're a, a wife, a, a mother, a father. There's all kinds of stuff. Like I can tell you, as a business owner right now, I legitimately my calendar, whether it's a personal calendar or a business calendar, I'm back to back to back to back to back to probably 10 o'clock tonight. Mm -hmm. So it's like, if you want to call me, you can, but it's going to have to be in the car in between, which I just don't think people do anymore because everybody wants a Zoom call. Right, right, right. right. Hey, man, I used to optimize my time and be able to take these calls in the car. Now I can't do that anymore. That's neither here nor there. But I would say, yeah, I think that the life of a business owner is certainly uh, is certainly a, a chaotic one at times. Yeah, and, and maybe they enjoy it. I'm not saying it's bad. I love my life. It is certainly a chaotic one, but nonetheless, it, it uh, it's chaotic. But those difficult discussions, you're not going to like try to make time for it. No. I mean, and that's where I well, think it's this- important, but it's not urgent, right? So this is one of the things. This is one of the things. It's like I think there are probably three challenges that we face when trying to work with business owners. And if I am a business owner, this is why it's so hard to understand exit planning because we're built with these three mentalities that frankly just aren't true and need to be broken down and have a new uh, new mindset kind of appear. One of those is that, guys, I understand exit strategy is important. If you go back to our state of owner readiness research survey, we asked the owner uh, the question, how important would like, what would you rank it? Agree, somewhat agree, you know, extremely agree, don't agree, all those like you know, levels of agree or disagree. We said, is having a transition strategy important to your future personally and the future of your business? 60% of owners said that they agreed. And if you added up the uh, somewhat agree and strongly agree, 99% of owners said that they agreed with that statement. However, the next questions are, do you have a formal written exit strategy? 50% of them said no. Do you have a formal uh, personal plan post-business life? 94% of them said no. Do you understand all of your exit options? 60% of them said no. So when you're sitting here as an advisor, your frustration builds because you're like, they're saying they want, it is important, 
but at the same time, they're not doing a damn thing about it. So what? where's the disconnect? The, the, the disconnect is literally what you just said. They understand it's important. They're not doing anything about it because it's not urgent to them right now. It becomes urgent to them when they have a partner dispute. It becomes urgent to them where they're like, holy crap, I'm 80 years old. I probably need to do something else in my life. It becomes urgent to them when the private equity company knocks on their door and says, hey, you look like a pretty attractive business. I'd like to buy your business for a 10 or 15 multiple. They're like, oh my God, like I need to, I think I need to take this offer. Or it becomes urgent when their life changes. I could tell you right now, I, I try to use our own business as an example of value acceleration. My dad in his early 60s, his life has changed since COVID undoubtedly. Number one, he's a baby boomer. So anybody that's a baby boomer listening, you, you've navigated all kinds of crises throughout your business career, right? Pandemics, recessions, real estate booms, interstate or booms or busts, you got all kinds of stuff, 9-11, you got all kinds of stuff that probably affected the economy and your business. And so, uh, so there's that. The other thing that you're doing is you're seeing younger workforce in there. So if you're not evolving as perhaps somebody in their 60s or 70s, younger people want to be led differently than people that are 60. A 25-year-old or a 30-year-old want to be led differently. Different things matter to them. So if you don't understand that, you're kind of like, oh, man, I'm getting frustrated because I don't really understand my people anymore. And then for my dad, the last thing that has changed in his life, it's a very positive thing, is that he became a grandfather this year. And so now, he, and my mom retired three years ago, and my, my mom was listening. She'd, A, love it that I mentioned her. Two, uh, two, she would laugh because she's been sitting at my parents' lake house for like three years now saying, Chris, where the hell are you? I retired because I thought you were. But my Bye. dad's a baby boomer business owner working 60 plus hours a week, and he loves what he does. So he's like, this is what my passion. He's like, this is what I love doing. I can't possibly think about running a living in my life without my business around. But these things start to change and evolve. Luckily, right, my dad's the creator of the value acceleration methodology. So I'd like to think that we live our own methodology and are ahead of the game. But for somebody that doesn't know what value acceleration is, you literally hit it. It's important. I understand it's important, but it's not important right now. Right. So because my life is already chaotic, so I'm not going to plan. So take me, for example, I'm, I'm 36 years old. So a typical 36-year-old entrepreneur is saying, hey, man, I'm growing a business. I'm making good money. Our people are happy. I got a lot of opportunities. I got a new product line I'm rolling out. I just got out of my company retreat. I got a new piece of land that I just bought. Like I got all kinds of stuff going on. I'm 36 years old. I'm nowhere near exit. I know it's important. So I check the strongly agree box on the, on the survey. And then everything else shows that I haven't done a damn thing to, to actually help my exit along. Right. What we don't understand is that unsolicited offers do happen, yeah. right? Market's hot right now. If you got a good business, you might be getting an offer or tragedy happens where you're like, man, I got paralyzed or I got cancer or I lost a key person or a pandemic hit me and I'm forced out of my business. We want to be as prepared as we possibly can. But it is exactly what you said. It is in, my life is chaotic. So I understand it's important, but it's not urgent right now. So I kick the can down the road. And next thing you know, I'm not 36 anymore. I'm 66 and I'm like, oh shit, I, I got to exit my company. Like I, I you know, I'm, I'm getting a little burnt out. And wow. now you, now you understand is that you've had the successful company kicking off good profits all the, all the time. And no one wants to buy it because it's too risky because it's all relying on you. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, that's why, you know, I think that we're led down the path of, Hey, it's important, not urgent. It goes back to what we've kind of already talked about that 
to me, exit strategy is business strategy. There's actually nothing different. Right. If you're always building a company that's strong, you'll have a company that's transferable. But we got to be focusing on what you said about doing evaluation each year. We have to, I think most owners' goals and strategies are, are revenue drivers, expense killers, and net profit drivers. They're not value-based. Right. So the question you got to set is, great, you've put in a new system. That's going to make me a little bit more profitable and optimize my people's time. So I'm going to make more money this year. But what has that done to the value of my company? So, well, and you have your CPA, which is saying, spend all your money right now. Let's go spend all your money so that you don't have any tax yeah. Yeah. events, right. you know. Right. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot to unpack there. But I think one of the things that I have seen very consistent, so I do not actively sell companies, right? Sure. I don't put myself out there as a business broker or anything. I literally value companies on a regular basis for mm -hmm. certain clients. And then what happens? Well, they've just been profitable and successful and significant for 30 years. Of course, they've had people approach them over time, mm -hmm. but they never knew what it was worth. So they'd be like, hey, we want to buy your company. And they're like, eh, I'm not ready. So they don't even <laughs> yeah. entertain it, right? Yeah, they don't right. even ask, like, it's what not. would you pay? It's not even a conversation. So now they do valuations, right? So once, a, even just one time, they do sure. a valuation a year and a half ago. And now they know, they kind of have a, a reference point. They have where they're working towards and yep. things like that. And in that meantime, a buyer comes and it's just, it could be a competitor. It could be somebody who's actually reached out to them so many times. They're going to try one more time because now we have a, a unique environment where we yep. have money and we need to put it somewhere. So people are buying more companies. Great. And now they know the price too. Now I urge them not to tell the buyer the price, but <laughs> yeah. whatever, can't right, stop right. them from doing anything. Mm -hmm. But they now are like, yes, it's the right opportunity. And it is a great opportunity. Um, but th the other thing that's that's happening, and I think that this kind of goes towards like what, what the marketplace needs and what the opportunities are out there, mm -hmm. is the reality is, are they prepared to sell the, I mean, even at that point, they have an active buyer that's willing to pay them what they want. Their, their house is not in order. Everything is sure. not cleaned up. And now they're doing it as a frenzy, right? And sure, their right. books are not cleaned up there. And when we say clean up the books, I mean, like start to run like your business cleaner. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. But talk right. to us about the marketplace need and opportunity, because maybe that's a little bit different than what we're envisioning it means. No, I think that. Uh, so right now, I guess generally the marketplace right now, I think is pretty hot. Right. I was just mm -hmm. like not to set the tone for any business owner. So please don't take my advice as real as, as what you're going to get. But a guy here in Cleveland just sold a non-medical home health care company for 20 times EBITDA. Yeah. So I think that right now the market's hot. However, if you're listening and saying, crap, I just heard Scott say that, I might want to think about going to market. I'm going to call my CPA or my attorney friend and see maybe if I could actually sell now because as a 60-year-old, that might sound pretty good right now. But what you're going to find is that you're actually might be very attractive, but you're really not ready at all, right? It's all, I always call it, it's like picture your favorite car. So I'm a car guy. Picture, say you have the brand new Mercedes-Benz 2022, zero miles Let's on Let's go this. like Maserati. Maserati, whatever your thing is, right? Whatever yeah. your thing is, you're looking at this and you're like, this thing looks beautiful. Say it's a hundred thousand dollar car. It's a big deal for you. Bucket list kind of item. 
And you're like, okay, I'm definitely going to buy this thing. I just want to take it out for a ride. So you sit down, you hit the little push start button and nothing even turns over. So you go in and pop the hood or pop the trunk if it's a rear engine and you're like, this thing's not ready to be driven at all. There's no engine in it. So even though it looked really cool, when I got into it, it wasn't very ready. And again, that readiness could be because your business isn't, isn't ready or it because you're not ready. I think like owners cold feet, like kill deals all the time. They get all the way to the end and they're like, holy crap, I just spent the last 35 years of my life growing this company. I can't possibly think, like, what, what would I do without this thing? Um, and I think it goes back to some of the stuff we talked about too, or they say, maybe I am a little bit ready, but I'm unsure and untrusting what this new company might do with my people, my customers, my culture, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that, you know, the mar- marketplace and the opportunity question, I think that right now it's really hot. So if you are thinking about selling your business, you should probably start an exit planning journey, right. which typically takes three to five years. But, you know, and what I would say, it, it also is, I think, generation dependent and all that kind of stuff. And I love talking about the generations, but it's probably another podcast. So, <laughs> Well, but I think you have a good point because... It, it's never the first thing that I hear, you know, because like mm-hmm. when we're talking about a deal, it doesn't seem real. Like we're negotiating the LOI, we're negotiating the terms and the business owner is still like, mm, it's like a wish and a prayer, right? Like I'm yeah. just going to, and we yeah. tell them like, keep on running your business. We'll negotiate and, and, but you need to keep on because it's, it's a lot, it's emotional, but they don't figure it out at the beginning. And they don't even get it in the middle. It's towards when it starts to become real. And we're starting to give bank accounts. And we're starting to determine where escrow is going to sit. And we're getting the wire information for the millions of dollars that is going to be put into their bank account. That they literally sit back. And I kid you not, it's almost 100% of the time, right? And they sit back and they're like, Melissa, Scott, what am I going to do? Like even right. day one, like week one, and they literally go into this like sense of like they've never thought about it until here because they were running so fast, running so fast, running so fast that they're like, I don't like everybody says I should go like drink margaritas on the beach, but like I don't even like sand. I don't even like warm yeah, weather. Yeah. You know, like right, exactly. And well, they do. Well, yeah, they have this epiphany totally of like, agree. what do I do? Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's kind of like you know, like the typical owner that's going to go play golf, right? So you're playing golf. And and frankly, like, I think most people are probably pretty average at golf. Like I can golf, but like after like pretty much whole 10, I'm kind of like, okay, like I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm so frustrated, you know, because I, I was good all the way up to the hole, but can't putt for hell. So I, you know, I ended up, you know, getting a double bogey right. and that gets old after a while. Right. And, and then, it, or also because it doesn't become very challenging. Right. So again, I think it's generation by generation, but if you're a baby boomer, you're built, one of your key values or your core values is success. So whether that's being a good father, a good business owner, a good golfer, you have a sense of wanting to feel successful. So if you think you're just going to sit around and do nothing and sip margaritas or travel the world or play golf, that's going to get probably old pretty quick. It's funny that you had talked about this, though, because literally I was sitting with my operations manager and our, our one of our uh, lead strategists here. And they asked me, my my team here at EPI is relatively young. They said, Scott, but if you sold, like if you could sell EPI, like what would you do? Like you're not even 40. I was like, funny that you should ask. And so because 
trying to live my own methodology, I have a written personal vision that I'm trying to live into that goes till about 55 right now, 55 years old. So, but it's written. Uh, I wouldn't say I would probably rate myself low here. I, it's written, but it's not thorough. But I know, I know the trajectory of what I want to do with the Exit Planning Institute, my business. I, and I know what I would do after my business, at least till I'm 55. Mm -hmm. um, and I have my passions kind of written out. And if you, the question, I think a lot of owners, to your point, that are spending a lot of time in their business, you know, if you didn't have your business to walk into 60 plus hours a week, what would you do with your time? Mm -hmm. I was on a call the other day with a, a an owner that actually came through our SEPA program because he wanted to learn about what it takes to buy and grow a company. Little did I know is that he did it because he had free time because he had just sold his and he called me afterwards and he's like, Scott, I'd love to schedule like a half hour phone call. I was like, cool. And he's like, I'm actually a retired owner, basically an exited owner that took your program because I'm literally in this transition law thing right now. Right. He called me and it was nine in the morning. He called me and I he had the, the typical, you know, break the ice chat that everybody, how's the weather? What are you doing? And he's like, and I don't know, I, maybe I, I, maybe I had something interesting to say. I don't remember what I said. He's like, man, cause, but I do remember him saying, Man, that's awesome. He's like, I'm literally in my basement alone. I'm divorced and I'm shooting pool. And I'm like, you're shooting. It's 9 a.m. You don't have anywhere to be, nothing to do. He's like, no, I'm freaking pulling my hair out, man. Yeah. He's like, so I thought I'd call you as an exited owner and as a person that teaches this stuff. Like, where's a good place for me to go? I mean, and again, this is a guy that got like $50 million for his business. So what, after taxes and fees, call it 30? Okay. He's got $30 million. This guy's in his like basketball shorts and crappy t-shirt playing pool in his basement all alone. You know, like that's a guy that profoundly regretted selling his business because right. he was like, the price tag looked great and right. it hit my wealth gap, but I don't know what I'm, I don't know what I want to do. Mm -hmm. So absolutely. So hundred percent. Well, and I think that, you know, a lot of times what I'm talking to business owners about is, you know, you've wanted to be charitable. You can sure. do a charitable association or organization okay. and give away money or create other businesses or invest in startups. I mean, there's a ton of ways to still like be business relevant on an advisory board and things like that. But I think that that's, it's, it's hard yeah. because when you, it's, it's sort of like you've done this thing forever and you almost blinders can't see that there's a hundred million other things. So I think it, it is, you know, some of this is the intrinsic issues, but in the M&A environment, it is absolutely buyer or seller remorse or seller breaking the deal at the end. You know, um, they're all good until it really is like, wait, tomorrow I'm not going to own this. Like tomorrow I'm and because a lot of times they're staying on. They're staying on for one year or two years. And they're like, yeah, wait, am I going to have to like, are they going to be my boss? Like, yeah. how does this work? We just did one and um, there was a female, yeah. female led business bought by another female led business. And, you know, they're like, well, are, it, do I call you my boss? Like, how does this work? Do I make any decisions? Am I off the, de you know, the debit card and all of this stuff? Yeah, right. And Can I run are, my car through the business still? Or, <laughs> right. You know, like. Yeah. Like, do I still get any of those perquisites? Yeah, right. But I think that it was, it, it didn't really hit everybody until the end. And those things became important. They didn't ruin the deal, but it's sort no. of like anything you don't 
when it starts to get really real, there's different emotions that happen yeah. as opposed I, to conceptually like, oh, somebody buys my business for $10 million. Like we can right. all talk about that. Like it's glamorous and it is, but it comes up with other things that I think um, your program is really identifying. Like spend your 80, 20, 80 on the business and 20 on building a life that you're happy with outside of the business. And Which I is, struggle with that too. Both, right? Yeah. Like, again, like I always think about when you talk about like uh, buying small businesses, that's something that I would probably do if I sold my business. I'd probably buy like some cool small businesses. Like yeah. we were la literally before I got on this podcast, we were laughing about it because I always as a kid and I still do this today, I eat a ton of Subway, like Subway sandwiches. Yeah. I actually had a Subway sandwich today, the All-American footlong on Italian herbs and cheese. Had it right before this. Right. And and I would go buy like a chain of subways. I think that would be cool. Yeah. But I always think about this because I think the coolest story is we had a client, literally Craig and Meg, uh, Craig and Megan, both of their, they owned a traditional Midwest manufacturing company. Guy sold his business for probably 38, $38 million, million in the end. He originally came to my dad's consulting firm. I remember sitting at that table with my dad and his business partner as they started to interview this guy. This was right after I sold my company. I I'd started, I came into their company to again, kind of like an owner, right? Kind of figuring out what I wanted to do next. And I was fascinated by my dad and his business partner, Anding, being exposed to so many different industries. Mm -hmm. So I remember sitting with Craig and Megan, they were pretty jacked. They're like, you know what? I'm 55. By the time I'm 60, I want to be out of this company. We're going to, we're going to buy a really cool log cabin up in Colorado and retire up there. We're very, they were very active hikers, fishing, hunting, snow, like snowmobiling. So they had all seasons where they could do stuff and it was just fascinating dream for them. And they were like dead set on, on this dream when they were sitting there. First question got spiked their interest. They said, okay, Meg kind of works in the business. Craig started it like out of his shed, like total stereotypical entrepreneur story. And we asked Meg, we said, Meg, how many hours over the past 25 years of your marriage has Craig worked in his business? She's like, wow, he's like never around. You know, he leaves at 7 a.m. and comes back at like 7 p.m. And he's done that for 25 years of our marriage, of course. And we said, well, you think that you're going to be go from 25 years of Craig working 12 hours a day to, to another 25 years where you guys are around each other every single day, 24 hours. And they kind of both looked at each other like, I mean, I love them, but like, I don't know. That's weird. The other, but the cool part of this story is about buying small businesses is that Craig was an avid car collector. This dude literally had like an airplane hanger of cars, all kinds of stuff, like a couple old school, like Model T type things to like newer versions, like muscle cars, fast car, all kinds of cool stuff. And so we challenged him to think about this personal side of things, the thing that we've been talking about now for quite some time. And he said, it's a good point. And he went back and, and thought about that. Now he did sell his business for $38 million. He did buy a house in, in Colorado that they use as a vacation home, but they still live right here in Cleveland, Ohio. And you would never know this. He bought an auto wash and car detailing center. He's a car guy. And he is literally this guy in like basketball shorts and a t-shirt, not playing pool in his basement, unhappy, but literally buffing the car when it comes out of the car wash, this guy's got $38 million. Mm -hmm. What he did was figure out one of his passions he hired a general manager to run that company that was 40 years old. And their plan is to transition it to that person once they once they deem that person ready. So uh, it was kind of cool. He gets to mentor a young person into business ownership. 
and he's got a built-in successor and transition strategy. He's turned a, a car hobby into a business and he makes a couple hundred thousand dollars a year off the company. Right. So, you know, it's that to me is when you talked about like multiple small businesses at some point, you know, as we were having this conversation, I always think about Craig and Meg because they were able to achieve the stuff that they wanted to achieve. <clears throat> but they, to your point, they stayed active and they bought multiple small businesses, one of them being an auto wash and car detail center. Well, and if you talk to the business owner even further, right? Mm -hmm. So now you want to take your money and go buy a small business. What are you going to buy? Oh, you're right. going to buy one that's well managed that doesn't need you oh. every day. Oh, okay. Oh, you're going to buy one that's cash flowing. Oh, you're going to buy one in an industry that's growing. Oh, you're going to like think of all the reasons why you would buy a company sure. and then look at your company and say, have you created that? Because right. it may not be a sellable entity until you create what you would look for. And so I think that sometimes it does take them like twisting the perspective and saying, oh, wait, would I would I buy a company? Like I'm valuing a company right now that has one client. One. Okay, tough valuation. $60 million <laughs> oh, God. company and it's one client. And they're like, we're never going to lose this client. And, you know, there's a lot of things around it that that may be true. But I sit back and I'm like, but what if it's not true? Like, what is the true risk? Because he, because he might have mitigated the risk in his head, right? But sure. I come yeah. in and say, oh, my God, that is a huge risk. And so I think sometimes we're we're desensitized to our own risk factors and 100%. only when they can look at something else and say, well, I wouldn't buy that. OK, but, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but yeah. that's what you're doing. You know, so I think it is. I think um, another another good one is we had a client that owned a language translation company. It was started literally by they were tutoring languages. Then they started trans like translating languages. So by the time they got to us and they were looking to sell, uh, same kind of story that that with this one client, sixty million dollar situation, they had their biggest service was wiretapping. So translating wiretaps for the DEA. So they're like, dude, we have government contracts long term. Like this business isn't going anywhere. Little and we didn't know this at the time either. Although we obviously thought that that was risky generally. Uh, when we started looking at buyers, the DEA wanted them to have criminal background checks. So the new owners of the company, they had to go through a pretty rigorous process that the current owners had to go through. And so that kind of limits your buyer pool. Like, I don't know how right. you know stingy the, the the DEA is, but it's like, okay, like, hey, I got a couple of DUIs, you know, and, and something like maybe they don't like, maybe they're like, oh, like any charge, you know, not knock them out of there. So no, I think it means your buyer pool, but talk about like minimizing the yeah. risk in your head. These these owners of the language translation company were like, this is a great business. We got we make good money. We got long term government contracts, but they didn't anticipate the new owners having to qualify just like they did. Hmm. So uh, I think that that could be I think that could be an interesting an interesting valuation and situation as well. Yeah. Well, and I think this has been so much good information. I think we've at least provided some food for thought, if you will. But yeah. um, tell us a little bit more, because I alluded to the sure. fact, you know, the Exit Planning Institute really is kind of the preeminent um, forward looking credential for exit yeah. planning. And you guys have been around for a long time, like yeah, absolutely nice. a great reputation. But tell people more, because it's 
it's not only for the business owners in order to find somebody maybe in their area that could help, um, but also like maybe there are other professionals that do consulting that would maybe be interested yeah. as well. So tell us a little bit more. Yeah, hundred percent. So uh, if you're a business owner listening, I would hundred percent encourage you to, to visit EPI and, and interact. If you're a business owner listening, you should also know that the stuff that Melissa and I were just talking about over our, you know, the last hour or so is not done without a good quality advisory team. And so what me and my dad think, my dad, Chris, that has started this value acceleration methodology, we flipped the model. We were working with business owners directly and we said, you know, if we could surround the business owners, really great people that believe in the same types of things that look at it from a holistic mentality, we have a chance to really help business owners sell their company and sell it for more than what they ever thought and be super happy in the next act of their life. So we, Exit Planning Institute is a professional education company that actually teaches professional advisors how to help business owners grow value in their company and sell them and have this significant exit. So if you're a valuator, a CPA, a financial advisor, an investment banker, a life coach, a value growth consultant, these are the people that we work with and we have a credential called the Certified Exit Planning Advisor or SEPA. Uh, we run a credential, we run that credentialing program and if that's not right for you, that's okay too. We have an academy program. We have a big conference. We have chapters and webinars that are free to get involved. So a really nice exit planning community that is a very diverse community, primarily made up of advisors. So if you're looking to advance yourself as a professional advisor, certainly I, I would like to think that this is a place to come. If you're a business owner, uh, please get, begin to interact and educate yourself. And if you're looking for somebody to help you down that path, we likely have the advisor uh, for you as well. And those advisors for us are called SEPAs. And we don't necessarily need to kind of have a <clears throat> financial background, right? No, like no, not is, at all. We're coming yeah. from all walks of life. So some of our some of our SEPAs are exited owners that are now looking to consult with other owners. So you could be have a personal financial background, an accounting background, a legal background, an MA background, or an, an owner background. It doesn't really matter to me. And and I would say that. There's obviously some prereqs for the program, but nonetheless, you know, you should think about if you're advising an owner how to grow their business and sell, if you're advising owner how to develop a personal financial plan, or if you're advising owner how to develop a personal vision and purpose, Exit Planning Institute is probably right for you. Yeah. And even as layering it in, because I know a lot of financial advisors kind yeah. of, you know, because everybody does work together. I mean, normally on a deal, I'll have an attorney, I'll have a CPA, I'll have me, I'll have a couple other players. Yeah. Um, and so it, it does take a team to do these transactions, small or large. I mean, the larger sure. ones obviously have huge teams, but but this has been really helpful, cool. Scott. And yeah. I, I appreciate uh, all your knowledge. Yeah. So, and we'll do it again. Who knows? Hopefully. The yeah. world's always changing. Absolutely. Well, thanks. All right. I appreciate it. We'll, we'll talk to you soon.